his mercy as I get up every week and he allows me to speak his word. I'm thankful that God has given us a place to worship together. And so our sermon this week is coming out of Romans chapter 11. So we're going to finish chapter 11 today. And the title is from a familiar song, if you know it, a song by Kendrick Lamar. It's called Sit Down and Be Humble. And the reason why that's where we're landing today is because last week, if you saw the place and the space that we wrapped up the sermon in the text that we ended last week, Paul was talking about just how beautiful the mind of God was and actually is. And this is also when we saw how God had worked together all things in order to draw the Israelites to himself, but not only the Israelites, but all people, even though all of us had in our own space and time rejected God. But Paul was leaving off last week in this really important place, this really important space that we've got to wrap our minds around. He wraps up by saying this, don't be proud. Don't be proud. Don't get arrogant because you haven't been cut off. Don't be arrogant. There is, for the believer, a sudden slip into pride when it comes to the Christian experience. Why is that? I think some of it is just the reality of being saved. It's the pride of having been chosen. How damaging is this really to us? Not only does it undermine how we were saved, but it undermines the work that God has actually called us to do. For example, I remember growing up, some of my most useless teachers would say, I got my degree, you go get yours. But what they failed to realize is that I needed them in order to get what they said I needed to get. And so it not only affects how we act, but it affects how we respond as well. And so the challenge is, how can we be confident in our walk with Christ while we are who we are, but also do it in a space of humility. And so as we jump into this, there are three things I want you to be able to think about. One, every single one of us has pride in some area of our life. You are not the exception to pride. Two, Be reminded that pride is an offense to God. God, who should feel pride, doesn't feel pride. So how am I to feel pride? And three, we are all less effective and less reliable when we're prideful. And so we're going to Romans chapter 11. We're going to go to verse 25 today. And this is what Paul writes, picking up from where we left off. He says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. And what we think about others. So as we hear this word today, as we worship, Lord, let us be reminded that you are the reason we are saved, and you are the reason that anybody else who will be saved 
is saved. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, when we look at this, you probably might think, what in the world does this passage actually have to do with humility? But look at the very first line, picking up from what we left off last week. The very first thing he says, he says, lest you be wise in your own sight. Well, that is a follow-up to the last thing that he has said from that previous verse, which he said, So, do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Y'all, Paul has this amazing ability to read the human condition and This is why I think he constantly warns us not to be self-deceived. He constantly tells us not to think of ourselves more than we ought to. Now, why does this problem exist in the human condition in the first place? I think honestly it begins with this fact, this reality that every single one of us since the beginning of time has what I call a God complex. We have an inherent desire to be in control of the good things that happen in our lives. For the Christian, though, what's the best thing that's happened? Well, that would be salvation. The best thing that's ever happened to a Christian is salvation. And so there is, or there should be, a natural, healthy pride in God's work that we should find in our lives. So how does that morph? How does it go from a healthy boasting in what the Lord has done for us to, well, this is what I've done for myself? I think it happens like this. The further we get away from God, the further you get away from the source, the more likely it is for you to forget that he actually is the source. I remember this. I don't think I ever told anybody this, but this was true. When I was a kid, we went to Sixth Avenue Baptist Church. And that time that church was packed out, Reverend Porter, and they had this, what I didn't know, a massive choir. But I was little, and we sat far away because the church, to me, was enormous back then. And so every Sunday, I remember when the music would play, From where I was sitting, I could only see the choir director and his hands moving. But I couldn't see people singing. And so I remember being a kid, crazy as it sounds, I thought his hands were making the music. I couldn't see no musicians. I couldn't see no choir. So I thought he would get up and like his hands alone were making the music. But then I remember getting baptized and their baptismal was above the pulpit. And right before they put me in, I see all these people and all these instruments. And I remember thinking, I've been duped. I thought this man had all this power, but it was really these people singing. But you see, the reality is, is when I got closer, things got clearer. The further away I was, it was easy for me to perceive that somebody was in control who actually wasn't in control. And that is the exact same thing that happens to us. The further I get away from God in my life, I am prone to be duped into thinking, you know what? 
I'm running this show. I got everything under control. And whenever we feel that sense of pride in ourselves, which often comes out in anxiety about what's going to happen, maybe we've strayed a little further from God than what we're willing to admit. So Paul opens with a warning after saying, don't be proud. He says, don't be proud unless you may be wise in your own sight. Y'all, I don't know if there's anything worse than somebody who thinks they're wise, but they're not. And maybe you think I'm wasting too much time on here, but I think Paul wrote this for a reason. He didn't want believers to look out at Israel and scoff at their lostness. Just like today, we as believers cannot only look out at the world and scoff at their lostness. Because this is the reality. Every single one of us is infected with the same disease of pride. Paul himself says this in 2 Corinthians. In 12 and 1, he says, I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And he says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool. For I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it. So that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults. Hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Y'all, it's so funny here because there's a bit of sarcasm that Paul speaks with. He is not actually boasting in himself the way other people would. But look at what he admits. He says, but I do know a man who has seen things, things that man cannot utter, who was caught up into the third heaven, who was told things and shown things that nobody else could have seen. Y'all, that man that Paul says he knows, he is that man. He is the man with whom God had gifted with this great ability to speak with interpretation, with understanding, and with revelation. And he also knew that if he strayed away from God, that he would think more of himself than he should. 
Not only that, but he knew if he strayed away from God, he would also be content with other people, thinking more of himself than he should have. And Paul admits what all of us at some point in our lives must admit. He admits this, that he alone wasn't enough to keep him in check. Paul, the apostle, beaten, battered, broken, beheaded on behalf of the gospel, admits, even I am not enough to keep me in check. And so God, in his grace, gave him a pride checker. It's the thorn in his flesh, that physical infirmity that prevents him from thinking too much of himself. That infirmity was a tether which prevented Paul from pulling too far away from God and losing sight. Y'all, I think a lot of us, whether it is a physical infirmity, whether it is a spiritual or an emotional infirmity, all of us have been given some spot of weakness that forces us to depend on God. The only difference is, is where Paul said this thing made him depend on God, what I feel like I see in the world and even in what people call the church is where our weaknesses used to be a tether to keep us closer to God. Our weaknesses have become the thing that we use to glorify ourselves even more. That's just the way I am. That's just how I talk. That's just the way I think. That's just how I grew up. All of these things which used to be weaknesses, hernias in our spiritual bodies to remind us that we need to be in close proximity to God have now become the spots of glorification for us. It's not that God is not still tethering us. It's just that what we used to feel shame about, we feel proud about. And so what he says is that he would always be reminded when he saw and felt whatever this physical infirmity was, he was reminded that he needed to be in close proximity to God. Because if he were only in close proximity to himself, he would fall. And the further a Christian is removed from God in the world, the more they become their own source of truth. And the last thing a Christian should be is wise in themselves. You can't be the wisest person you know. You mean you get it right all the time? You always know how to handle things. You always know the right way to go. You always know the right thing to say. You always know through everything. The humbling reminder is this. The Bible warns us. With everything that we see, we still only see in part. With everything we think we know, we know in part. And as clear as the picture may be, the Bible says we see through glass, but we see through it darkly. 
Y'all, be careful not to make quick determinations about the Lord or what he's doing or interpreting every event in your life or somebody else's as if you know what God is doing. You ain't him. How could you know what the Lord is doing? How could you know what path the Lord may have you or anybody else on? You can only control nothing. (laughs) Nothing. And how arrogantly we wake up knowing we haven't even woken ourselves up and think we're going to determine the rest of the day. No. It's not about if it were up to you. If it were up to me, I would say this. If it were me, I would do this. And I'll tell you like this. If I could be as honest as I can be, from my vantage point as a Christian, there are people in the world who seem to me so lost. And I think sometimes maybe, maybe, maybe God just can't say it out. To be honest. But then there's this humbling reminder. If God can't say that one, he sure couldn't save me. Because as bad as that one might be, you know who's worse? Me. Me. And so the reality is if I understand that the nature of my salvation is a miracle in and of itself, then that also means that there isn't a soul out there. There is not a person that we could ever say is too lost or too far gone. And what does Paul say? Don't be wise in yourself. He says this, he says, the Israelites have not been hardened so that they would not receive salvation, but they've only been hardened partially. Y'all, isn't it so true for all believers who come to saving faith in the Lord? Any of us who know the Lord were not permanently hardened, but rather we were partially hardened. And God had a plan to draw all of us. And just like he's had a plan to draw all of us, there are people in the world who, as though they may look lost and far gone, God has a plan to draw them. And it is so easy for us to judge the life and the journey of others, not realizing that we are also on a journey. Paul's message is one to us all. Stop thinking that you know what you simply do not know. Y'all, I think it's like this. Life is like putting together a piece of music or, or a piece of art. If you judge a song by the first lyric written or a piece of art by that first brushstroke, then you would never see the fully finished picture. You will never see the actual product. I remember when I used to work on computers in high school, Rick, my computer teacher, would show me how to fix the issue. And a lot of times when it was a hardware issue, what it involved 
is actually taking a computer completely apart, diagnosing a problem, and then putting it back together so it could work the way it was intended to work. And I say that to say God's process of salvation in somebody else's life may look like destruction. It may look like it's being torn apart, it's being pulled apart, but what if it is God actually pulling all those things apart, diagnosing the problem so that he can put it back together the way that he intended to posture a person for salvation, to heal people who are broken. This is why Paul is emphatic about this. He says, do not judge anything or anyone before it's time. And he says this in this text. He says, because the deliverer will come from Zion, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Y'all, humility begins and ends with admitting that I'm not the God of anything. Salvation is not only a reminder that we don't save anyone, but that we also have no idea how God is working to save somebody else. So what should I do? Let me sit down, let me shut up, and let God be God. Let me just let him work. Paul reminds that God was orchestrating this plan before we had even been alive. What does the scripture say? The Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. Before the world even had its foundation, God had a plan. Who am I to think that I know what God is doing? My grandmother loved this saying. It was a song, but it was true. It said, God is God all by himself, and he don't need nobody's help. And he gives us this reminder in the text. He says, for just as you at, were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has co-signed all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Y'all, the gospel that we preach to others was first preached to us. We cannot forget that. And this is Paul's message. God used their disobedience. He used their sin to give you mercy. He says, but just in case you start feeling a little too high about yourself, do not forget this. You were disobedient too. Y'all, none of us can be saved if we weren't first lost. 
And he says this, which is probably the most controversial thing he says. He says, he has co-signed all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. And it's not even that complicated. He has permitted, he has allowed the disobedience of man to show his great mercy for all of us. Not all of us in this room are parents, but every single one of us at some point were children. And we know how it is. When you think you have skated through getting away with something, you think your parents don't actually know you've been doing it. You think they don't know that you've been doing it. And it all comes to a head. And all of a sudden, after however long you've been doing it, they let you know, we knew when you started. And you say, well, why didn't you say anything? He won't let you know. We just wanted to see how far you thought you could go without us realizing what was going on. And just before whatever that thing is, just as you are about to drown under the weight of whatever it is, in steps your parents. As a reminder, you see what happens when you depend on you. You know what God does, y'all? As he has permitted and allowed disobedience, our sins, that is not that he agrees with it, but what he is showing us is that the more you try to live apart from me, the worse things will get. And this is the truth. You won't ever understand the depth of the mercy of God until you need it. All you'll think is he's this hard, cold, distant God who only rains down his wrath and judgment on all people. But until you judge the life of somebody else and you were reminded, but that was me too. Such were some of you, but you were washed. And y'all, there is no more humbling feeling than when you get angry or frustrated about what somebody else is doing, they're sin and they're wrong, and maybe it's the Lord, maybe it's a spouse, but they remind you, but don't you remember when you used to go there? You used to say that. You used to do that. Don't you remember when you? I, that's that good Christian amnesia that we get sometimes. But the reality is, all of us got a past. And we should consider the reality of our past and what we were saved from our own thorn. Because I'm going to tell you like this. This is what people do when they want to make a point. Somebody remembers you when you were you. And the lasting image that some people have of us, and all it takes is you riding on your high horse and somebody see you and call you whatever that name was you used to go by. And he's like, uh-oh. Remind you real quick. Is that Juju? 
Nah, this, this ain't juju. This ain't juju. All of us have a past. And that past should be our reminder that God saved even me. Even I wasn't too far away from God. And what does it let us know? It lets us know what great patience and what great mercy we have received. We have received a measure of love and grace and mercy from God that is without measure. And so when you act out later and when you forget or when you start smelling yourself, don't you remember when we could have but we didn't? What happens? It sits you down. It humbles you. Y'all, we should not be confused when God allows or permits certain things from happening in people's lives because he did the same with us. But if he had not allowed us to go as far as we had gone, to get as deep into it as we had gotten, we wouldn't know the mercy that we've received. And his mercy for us is his mercy for all. And this is what Paul says as he closes and as I close as well. He says, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever.